This is The Thirst Time, presented by Trap Brewing Company. I think just craft beer in the U.S. and probably globally is is going through, um, you know, some some it's going through some growing pains in terms of it is now a very established industry. Uh, it, it's no longer this. There's there's some scrappy upstart component to it, but you know, it's in a lot of ways it's big business now. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. Today's guest, we have Matt Gallagher of Half Acre Brewery based out of Chicago, USA. I met Matt well, it feels like so long ago now, at friends and family all those yeah, years ago. And we really hit it off and had some great conversations. And he was someone that I'd always had on my mind to do an episode with. Um, but he actually reached out recently to ask, of all things, about, uh, about cask beer. <laughs> More of that in the episode. And I seized the opportunity to, to get him on the show and he was more than happy to oblige. So... I loved Half Acre Beers and I loved the principles and the beer styles that they were founded on. And you're going to hear a lot more about that in this episode. So let's get to it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time. And this is our interview with Matt Gallagher. And we start with that all important question. What was that first beer for him? Um, you know, it's a little bit of both, you know, there's a few beers that certainly stood out to me, um, when I first learning first, you know, first started learning about beer, but I would say maybe less than a beer. It was a place. Okay. Um, so, um, I moved out to, to Colorado, uh, maybe in my early twenties, maybe like 22, 23 years old. Um, and I grew up on the East coast in New Jersey, not a lot of beer going on in New Jersey in terms of like small breweries there. Mm. And there's a bush had a big brewery there. There's a few other breweries, but, um, you know, craft beer in my world growing up in New Jersey was not a thing at all. My parents, mm. when they had beer would drink Heineken or rolling rock or, you know, um, so long story short, uh, moved to Colorado. I had an older brother who had already been in Colorado with his friends for maybe a good six, seven, up to 10 years. Um, so they were, you know, kind of, they were already into the beer scene in Colorado just as consumers. And, you know, I remember flew, flew to Denver for the first time. My brother picked me up and we went right to a place called the Falling Rock Tap House, uh, which was kind of uh, like the ground zero for for craft beer there in Denver. Um, and, you know, lived there for a couple of years. We'd go there all the time. Uh, they'd have 20 plus beers on tap, which at the time, you know, that was like, you know, pretty impressive to have that many beers. And I could be underestimating it. It could have been double that. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt like a lot. It felt like a lot. Yeah. And it was all, it was mostly all Colorado brewery. So it was really a chance for me to, it was the kind of the lightning bulb, the light bulb moment was like, wow, this is something you can do. You people make beer. Like I just never thought of beer as something that people make. It was this big factory thing that produced it. Um, so that had a big impact on me going to Colorado going to the Falling Rock Tap House and being exposed to all these breweries in the Colorado area, the Denver area, like Great Divide, Breckenridge, mm -hmm. Left Hand, Avery, uh, and drinking those beers out there. And it was, uh, 
you know, it, it was really uh, exciting for me to, to learn about that. And, and just to see how a place like the front range of Colorado, it was craft beer was very well ingrained into the culture there. Yeah. Uh, people had been, you know, you have new Belgium, people had been drinking, people just drank craft beer way more than, um, you know, Budweiser or Miller Lite. Uh, so just seeing, seeing that and, and just also, you know, Colorado is a pretty beautiful place. So yeah. the combination of craft beer and mountains and hiking and skiing, uh, it all kind of came to one. And then when I moved to Chicago, it was kind of like, man, where are all the, where are all the breweries at? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting. I mean, there's places in America that really seem to, uh, and it, it, I mean, it makes total sense. So a few people that have interviewed, for instance, um, Matt Curtis, I don't know if you know Matt, but great journalist and writer over here. Um, Colorado, his dad moved to Colorado. He went out there, went to Adele's and just had his mind like absolutely blown. Um, And then Oregon as well, obviously. I guess it's just location. Do you think that's what it is? And then it was kind of seeped out from there into the other states. Yeah, I think so. Because I think you had kind of these like, you know, brewing craft brewing centers or at the time micro breweries, yeah. you know, centers, whether it was like Boston on the East coast or, um, you know, Northern California, uh, definitely, uh, you know, Portland, Oregon, uh, definitely, you know, uh, Den- the Denver area in Colorado. Um, and then you just see you and we've been able to, what's been really awesome is, uh, being in this industry just long enough to see it really, flip in the U S and seeing it kind of go like city by city and state yeah. by state. And you just see when we first started brewing, there was huge swaths of the country that had no, brew, no craft breweries at all. And now that's totally changed. Every small town has a brewery, every, you know, larger city has multiple breweries and you just kind of see it. And it's kind of, it seems like it hits this critical point in any given area. Then all of a sudden, people start to take notice. And I see it with my family members who did not care about beer. Even when I was making beer, they were like, ah, okay, that's pretty yeah. cool. Pat you, pat you on the head. <laughs> just like, Oh, that's a really cool hobby you've got there. Yeah. Yeah. And now them and their friends are all talking about their local breweries and in, in suburban New Jersey, you know, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. And I think the, the interesting thing about breweries in America and like tap rooms is that they definitely become community spaces feels like like families, whole families kind of invest in it. It's, you know, it's something similar to, it's a slower moving scene over here, but it's definitely happening. And that kind of welcoming, like, you know, trying to be part of the the fabric of the uh, the place, if you know what I mean, and have a real connection to, I guess, for you guys, Chicago. Um, so if we go back, so Matt's just having a great time in Colorado, understanding that like beer can be totally different to how you've previously perceived it. Was it an immediate bug to think, Oh shit, I need to start creating this. Or was it just a kind of slow process? Yeah, it was still, it took another maybe five years of, you know, um, I'm not a person who thinks very big, you know, (laughs) so it never really struck me as something that I could do. It was something that I enjoyed. Yeah. But it was like, ah, that's not, really, that's not something that I could figure out. Um, but, um, you know, after working, living in Chicago for almost five years and working at a job that I enjoyed, but I, it, it, there was a bit of a commute involved to get to my job. And I started adding up 
the time in the car, the money for gas, uh, the tolls I had to pay to just all the, all the expenses I was incurring just to get to work. <laughs> and I was like, man, maybe there's something else I could do. And then that was when it was like, ah, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I should figure out how come there aren't more breweries in Chicago. And if there's not a good reason why there aren't more breweries in Chicago, maybe, you know, take a, take a stab at it. So, um, yeah, it was kind of the first time I had a an idea that I thought was worth acting on. <laughs> well, that's amazing, man, and amazing that you did act on it and and got half acre off the off the ground. Um, just to give a sense of like Chicago, so New York has been a, a city that's featured really heavily on the podcast. Had Basil from Finback and Sam from Other Half and uh, Zach from KCBC. And New York obviously has such a buzz about it globally, but like Chicago is this huge metropolis of a city with so much, you know. Um, deep connection to music and culture and, and art as well. Was it, so for beer, was there literally no games in town when you kind of came up with the idea of starting your own thing? No, there was, there was, there was a beer culture going on. It was really tight knit. It was a real small, passionate crew of people. Um, there was, it was mostly brew pubs. So mostly, you know, smaller breweries with, with restaurants um, there was peace, uh, peace brewing, which, uh, they, you know, they make pizza and make awesome beer. Uh, there was a rock bottom, which is, you know, part of more of a national chain, but you yeah. know, the rock bottom in Chicago was, you know, it was a, a real beer culture center, uh, right downtown Chicago. Uh, goose Island was going on. Goose Island was doing their yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, we had three Floyds over the border in Indiana, you know, so they're an Indiana brewery, but, uh, they're also considered a Chicago brewery. Uh, and they were kind of leading the charge of really pushing the boundaries of definitely more hoppy styles, higher alcohol styles, and really pushing the, uh, I give three Floyds a ton of credit for really being really almost creating what's going on in the U S now in terms of pairing, other cultural interests with beer. So yeah. for them, it was, you know, metal, <laughs> you know, heavy metal music, comic yeah. books, uh, and that fantasy component to it. And now it's like, it's almost like kind of the norm to see like, Oh, craft breweries into metal. Yeah, of course. But you mm -hmm. know, at the time it was like, it was pretty aggressive for what three Floyds was doing. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they just, they're so passionate about it. So they were a huge inspiration for us, uh, for sure. In terms of, seeing that you could kind of roll all your passions into beer and kind of make it, make it all kind of one thing. And so when I did the interviews with the, the New York guys, it was, it was really interesting because they all kind of stemmed from this one point, which was like these little homebrew meetups in New York. And, you know, it's this big sprawling city, but suddenly that, that um, connection became very close. It was like a close knit group of guys who all went on to kind of set up their projects was there a similar thing running in Chicago or was like, was it more just hanging around at the joints that had already established themselves with a couple of other uh, people as well who went on to start other projects? Uh, it's a similar thing in Chicago. Uh, and it, it's cool. It's, it's been cool to talk to some of those folks in New York and, and I never knew that until they already had their breweries and I got to meet yeah. them and they're like, yeah, we were all homebrew buddies. Yeah. Uh, before we started this. So it's super cool. And yeah, there's a similar situation in Chicago early on. There was, um, 
it's still going, the Chicago Beer Society. So it's kind of both a home brewing group and just like a beer appreciation group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would meet once a month. They'd meet at Goose Island. Uh, people would bring their home brews, you know, and then you'd have some of the old guard, you know, trying your home brew and just shredding it, you know, and just being like telling you everything you did wrong, yeah. <laughs> which is great. because That's how you can learn, you know. Um, and then and now there's a couple there's a couple of other kind of homebrew clubs <clears throat> in the Chicago area that have kind of birthed uh, other breweries that are now doing really well. So um, it's it's um, not unfortunate. It's just the nature of how things grow. But, you know, it used to kind of just be one group of people who are into beer mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> would get together and talk about it and homebrew. Uh, and now it's just so big in Chicago that, you know, you, you just can't you can't know everybody anymore because there's just so many people who are, who are doing it. Um, so there's, it's kind of all these other groups now that are kind of doing their own thing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of adding to what's going on in, in the Chicagoland, uh, beer scene. Okay. Yeah. It's really fascinating. I, I always just get drawn to like that idea of like such a big city suddenly feeling so small with just like a couple of folks meeting up in, in different bars to, to drink the homebrew. And Goose, I, I I don't want to dwell too much on it, but obviously Goose Island's like groundbreaking. Like, you know, we started getting their IPAs over here and it was like insane and their Bourbon County stuff. And then now you kind of see it since the buyout, you see it in the airport or somewhere like it's a really strange yeah, relationship yeah. With, with that beer now. <laughs> um, anyway, back into your journey. So you, you've, you've, you've been commuting, paying your, your toll fees <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you acted out like it's a big, it's a big thing to just like put money on the line and, and change careers and, and start something. So what was going through your mind at that, at that point? Was it, you, you must've done some homebrews before, felt like you were producing some pretty good beers to, to, to warrant, like, like I said, yeah, putting your, putting your neck on the line to start something up. Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, and, and a, a big, big component of this was uh, meeting my uh, my business partner and co-founder, uh, Gabriel, um, uh, via via Half Acre. And, mm-hmm. our, our, you know, if, if you were interviewing him right now, uh, it would almost be an identical conversation. So we kind of had we were on a parallel track that never intersected until. I sent him, you know, I sent an email to uh, the Half Acre website, you know, uh, you know, he was out in Colorado, had a very similar experience out in Colorado. We both grew up in New Jersey near each other, um, both ended up in Chicago, but, um, I think for us, it was, we had less confidence in our own ability to be making beers that, you know, people are going to want, but we were very confident in, the beers we wanted to drink and very confident that we weren't really seeing enough of the beers that we really wanted to drink. So we were mm-hmm. like, well, let's just figure out how to make them ourselves. Um, so I would say we weren't necessarily confident on the, on the brewing side, but we were confident on, you know, what, what we wanted to put out there and the beer, the kind of beers we wanted to see in the local bar, in our local bars in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was very much, and we always go back to being so naive. <laughs> we had, we had no idea what we were getting into, which I think uh, was yeah. very much, very, very much a blessing. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you need it. You need some, uh, well, you don't, it's a hard fought thing running breweries and setting up breweries. Like there's, there's a lot of firefighting that goes on 
on with it. And I think the naivety and kind of starry-eyed um, thought process is a good one. And, 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 an essential one, really, because otherwise you just like crumble yeah. under the weight of, of what it is. So was Half Acre already kind of going at that time then? Or was that, was, was it you guys meeting that kind of came up with the, the idea? Uh, no, my other partners um, had already started uh, Half Acre. Um, and we started out as uh, contract brewing, uh, you oh, know, yeah. started out yeah, yeah. without the money to have our own facility. Um, and, and Gabe got it set up to be contract brewing out in, uh, in a, in a, a, a small brewery up in Wisconsin, in Black River Falls, a place called Sand Creek Brewing. So at the time, you know, contract brewing was kind of a bad term in mm-hmm. the U S you know, it was like, Oh, contract brewing. That's, you know, that, that's, that's not what people were looking for. Uh, and most of the contract facilities were like large facilities, you know, you're making 100, 200 barrel batches at a time. Uh, but there's a small brewery with a 20 barrel brew house in, in, uh, in Black River Falls, Wisconsin. And, uh, Gabe started a relationship with them. And I first talked to Gabe right when the, the first half acre beer called half acre lager, uh, right when it was first released, you know, he had the, the first six pack and we met up and, uh, so kind of got, was very fortunate to get, get in there in the, in the early stages of half acre. That's and, so cool. Um, yeah, came on board and was like, you know, we got to get our own brewery going. So uh, that was that was my contribution was like helping figure out how we're gonna how we're gonna get our own facility in Chicago going yeah. and 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 uh, make our own beer. So timeline wise, what are we talking from uh, contract brewing to to physical brewery? Yeah, it was probably about two years. So I would say, you know, Head Baker started contract brewing like the summer of 2007. And by the, you know, by February of 2009, we were brewing in Chicago. So maybe a little less than two years Mm -hmm. um, from, but there's a lot of work that went into leading up to getting that contract brewing relationship in, uh, in Wisconsin. So uh, yeah, Gabe started things in 2006, got, got beard, produced 2007 and then by 2009 we were uh we you know we had our own spot going in chicago and uh we're you know struggling through that (laughs) (laughs) this is a bit that i really love kind of honing in on a little a little bit because i think a lot of the people who listen to this and have listened to this previously have you know might be homebrewers and and thinking about that next step and then a lot of the people who i've interviewed have been homebrewers and then done the contract thing and then you know to to find kind of market fit does it product market fit does is it there is there something to this it's quite interesting what you just said that the first beer that uh, Gabe produced was a lager though which is yeah quite fascinating <laughs> was there any particular because obviously lagers must have been available in the market so what was he kind of angling for did he just want to try something and see see what was um you know, what he was able to, to conjure up in that, in, in that sphere. Yeah. There's a, a few reasons for it. I think one was, you know, to, to come out with a beer that was, uh, going to be pretty, pretty approachable, uh, not all that expensive, you know? Um, but, um, 
Um, it was also, uh, I remember the, I distinctly remember the first half acre, the first back a batch of half acre lager, you know, it was hopped with cascade. Wow. So it was kind of this like interested, interest, interesting hybrid beer of like, it was almost like a Vienna lager base, but then it had this like super distinct grapefruit vibe from, uh, being hopped with cascade. So it was kind of a pretty unique beer that didn't really fit into any style um, and that kind of honestly set the course for half acre today is like, you know, not necessarily brewing to styles, but brewing to, you know, things that we're looking for in our heads. Yeah. <laughs> um, searching, but, searching the covers um, of your heads. Yeah. But then, you know, but also at the time, uh, there was kind of a, you know, we, we got our brewery going, um, at a rough time in the hop in, in the U S hop industry, there was, um, a, a real hop shortage in 2008 mm-hmm. price, hop prices just skyrocketed availability just plummeted. It was like, I remember like before we made Daisy cutter, that was Daisy cutter was the beer we kind of really wanted to make, but we just couldn't get the hops, you know, there, we couldn't get access to hops like Simcoe or Amarillo. Um, so we just kind of had to bide our time and kind of wait until, we were able to source some of the hops that we wanted. So mm-hmm. in the meantime, we had half acre lager and then we made kind of like, again, not really a beer to style. It was, we called it, if, if I had to give it a style, it would be like, what would I, I would, I, we, I used to call it an American style bitter an ASB, you know, it's kind of an ESB, <laughs> not really a brown ale, yeah. not really a true ESB, you know, but it was kind of like this, we called it the stylist wonder. <laughs> and what, what wisdom do you take away from that, that contracting period to, to getting your own, um, getting your own premises? Um, yeah, I'm, it, hard, hard to say. Uh, yeah. um, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, just keeping your head down and figuring it out and just going for it. And we kind of had a, we had a very quiet confidence about us that um, we just really believed in what we where we wanted, what we wanted to do. And, um, you know, we just kind of kept pushing on it. And, yeah. um, you know, my, my, my dream the whole time was really just to like make beer. Like I just, I really wanted to just be involved in, in manufacturing something that people wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that was, that was always uh, a key component of all this was like just going in every day and making beer. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then just, yeah, just kind of rolling with what you, what, you know, working with what you got, yeah, <laughs> whether man. it's equipment, ingredients, uh, skills, yeah. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> giving it your best shot. <laughs> well, it was really interesting. I interviewed, uh, a guy called Brent who runs Mac Hop Mac Hops Farm in New Zealand. And he was saying that that, oh, short- yeah, yeah. Yeah, that shortage in American hops actually drove up the interest in New Zealand hops. And it was like that market kind of balanced and actually pulled them up and uh and yeah. kind of got them to, you know, an established place and and got their 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 hops kind of into more hands, which it's just fascinating how the market works like that. Um okay, so the there's a kind of point of interest here because like Daisy Cutter for you is kind of, you know, we have our Sonoma over here, which is just like, you know, our, the beer that kind of founded us, the beer that like we've grown on. Daisy Cutter, it's an interesting beer for an American brewery because it's, if I remember correctly, it's not like a super uh, high ABV. Um, it's kind of a low, low ABV pale, isn't it? If I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah. It's, 
Yep, it's a pale ale, uh, 5.2%. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really, really easy drinking. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's kind of as soon as we, as soon as we released that beer, it kind of, you know, our, our, our course as a company was set <laughs> basically amazing. From, from that beer. It was like, we put that beer out and it, it became very clear. Chicago was more interested. Chicago was interested in Daisy Cutter and not Half Acre Lager or our other beer at the time was called Over Ale. So, wow. Okay, I think I think we. That's amazing. So yeah, so it's when you set out to do this beer because it's quite fascinating. Because sometimes we took for granted Sonoma at points in our lives uh, as a as a brewery because you don't realize that when something hits and people start really recognizing it and and then just you know, it becomes a recognizable over the bar. When they see it, they're going to drink it. You know, you hit the right ABV, the hot, the hot profile, and it kind of just builds its own life of itself. And now sometimes, you know, you see younger breweries really trying to find that and you realize that it's not something that you can necessarily fabricate. You know, it's, it's almost like an, I don't know if it was the same for you, but almost like this happy accident that suddenly something just like clicks and you're like, okay, so we're going to be brewing a lot more of this. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. You kind of hit it on the head. It, it's yep. not something you can really plan for or force. It's uh, it's kind of out of your control and yeah. you can kind of do your best to guide it and, and hope that uh, it takes, it takes on its own life. But um, yeah, ultimately it's not, it's not up to the brewers. It's up to the consumers. Exactly. So can you take us into a little bit of the journey of that beer then you've obviously you've produced a lager, you produced another kind of house beer. Was this, so was this one of your first beers that you actually produced at the, the at the physical site? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Daisy Cutter was always, has always been brewed in Chicago. It was never, never brewed up in Wisconsin. Um, and yeah, it was, it was kind of, um, you know, I would say it was the beer that we were always kind of in the back of our heads. Like as soon as we can get some of these hops, you know, the goal of the beer was like when someone orders a Daisy Cutter, at the bar, like the person at the other end of the bar can smell it when it's getting poured, you know, oh, amazing. So like really focusing on, cause at the time, a lot of like hoppy, like IPAs and hoppy beers, kind of a big component of that was the bitterness level. You know, it was yeah. kind of the, it was a bit of like an, an, an IBU war, like who could make the most bitter beer. Uh, and we were like, uh, like we're going for flavor and aroma mm-hmm. and less on bitterness. So, um, that was kind of the goal of Daisy cutter and, um, yeah, I mean, we, we just loved it right off the bat, um, in, in the brewery and, uh, we had, a, and it's kind of, it's kind of ironic cause, uh, we really struggled with clarity on that beer. It was pretty, it was a pretty hazy beer, not by, not intentionally, you know, yeah. it would drive us crazy. Like we wanted it to be super bright. Um, but you know, our, our skills as brewers weren't, weren't quite there yet. So it was, <laughs> but we were, we were also like, we will always prioritize flavor and aroma over, over appearance. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't a beer that always looked the best. Um, but, uh, it was, and because we were small and it sold fast, it was, people were always drinking it fresh. And that's another huge selling point for any beer and especially, mm-hmm. uh, a hoppy pale ale, you know, when it's fresh, it's gonna, you got a real good chance of, of wowing people with it, where if it's been sitting warm on a shelf for a while and fading away, um, you know, it's, it's not going to hold up as well. Was there, was there a plan to start, like, is there any hop in there that you really wanted to showcase or was it just a, like a, a beautiful American blend? 
it's it's a real it's a real blend of hops, which um, is also a huge benefit for that beer because throughout the years the hops and Daisy Cutter have just been you know been been moving all over the place based on availability and inventory. But the beer is just it's always consistent. Uh, so mm-hmm. we're fortunate that it, it does rely on a real. It's it's probably about five different hops in that beer, uh, but in terms of showcasing, it's uh, it's definitely Amarillo and Simcoe, amazing, uh, and then Columbus as well. So Columbus is a or CTZ uh, is a hop that's in there. We it's it's not maybe at the forefront, but it's definitely setting a baseline of of uh, of dankness, uh, and that's that's kind of been a. a a lot of people make fun of us, uh, including people at Half Acre, you know, brewers like, oh, why, do you, why do we use so much CTZ? And it's like, I don't know, that's just kind of our house flavor, you know? Yeah, man. There's a, it's, uh, yeah, it feels like, obviously, obviously when the kind of East Coast hazy IPA and things came in, a lot of breweries kind of sprang up around that style. But it feels like at Half Acre, you know, that, I mean, what just for kind of reference, what kind of time are we talking when you first got the keys to your premise. Well, first brew that you kind of put through on the kit. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, like February of 2009. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, so I guess, so, yeah, what was yeah, the American was beer saying. scene at that time? I was just trying to think of like timeline of yeah. like hazy East Coast beers. Was it, was that before that? Um, It was kind of, you know, it was, it was bubbling up, I would say. So there yeah. was, you know, um, Hill Farmstead had just kind of started maybe 2010. Uh, the Alchemist was going at the time with their pub. You know, they were brewing um, Hetty Topper at their pub in Vermont. Um, you had breweries like Alpine out in Southern California, maybe not hazy styles, but like really heavy, heavily hop flavored beers. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, here in the Midwest, you know, the, we, there was some staples, you know, we had Alpha King from Three Floyds, Two Hearted from Bells. Um, so these weren't necessarily hazy IPAs, but, you know, definitely hop forward beers. Um, but I would say we were, you know, that the, the sort of e- the sort of East Coast hazy IPA uh, was still kind of a few years away, you yeah. know, maybe another three, four or five years before that really started uh being produced and not only being produced but being noticed and being yeah. kind of like people latching onto it is like oh i have to have this do you uh do you remember it kind of coming into your eyeline of just like oh, does this style seems to be rearing its head and hmm, people seem to enjoy it and it looks kind of cool on photos <laughs> like do you remember that first uh first kind of senses of it yeah. And I would say we, we were, we were hesitant about it. Yeah, we I can were, imagine. We were resistant to it. <laughs> we were like, come on, that's not, you know, we were kind of, you know, for, for various reasons, we were kind of like, I don't know about this. Is this something we want to do? And, uh, it took us a few years before we were like, come on, we're a hop forward brewery. Yeah, we, need to be, we need to be exploring all avenues. And I will admit I was the one who was holding us back. <laughs> I was like, Nah, I was like, we can make these kind of beers, but they can still look bright. You know, they don't need to look so. <laughs> it's so funny. But it of gets, course, it, uh, it, get, it gets us all, Matt. It got us all. Yeah. <laughs> you are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time. And this is our interview with Matt Gallagher.
So kind of thinking about that, like if, if you were to boil Half Acre down and kind of give it a word to describe your philosophy and what you wanted to put out, what, what would it be? Um, it's, it's probably still where it was when we were trying to pin it down in our, in our early years, which is, um, you know, really just focusing on the raw materials, Mm kind of doing as little as possible, as little as necessary process wise to kind of get in the way of those raw materials and really just make sure each, each beer is an expression of, of the, of the malts and hops in it. So uh, I think balance is a key, a key tenant of, of our philosophy and um, just trying as much as we can to, to let the raw material shine. Um, And uh, but also, you know, we, we also like to turn the volume up. So it was always like, how do we get more hop flavor out of this beer? Um, how do we get more, uh, you know, barrel character into our bourbon barrel aged stouts mm-hmm. or, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we continue to turn up the volume? Yeah. Um, so sometimes those interests can be competing when you're talking about letting the raw material shine and having beers in balance and then also cranking up the volume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a few like counterintuitive movements there, but I totally get yeah. what you're saying. And I, I love that. Um, so back into Matt's journey, you've, you've set up, you've, you've started putting some beers through Daisy cut, cut has kind of come online. How big's the team at this point? You know, how are you feeling? Is this just like seven days a week? hundred hour weeks, you know, you've just come out of a different career into something that, you know, you weren't as necessarily versed in, but you, you both have this quiet confidence, you know, what's the kind of atmosphere if you look at Matt and uh, Gabe in those early days? Yeah, it was, you know, it was an amazing time, but it was also, um, I sometimes refer to him as kind of the, the lost years, you know, it was like, <laughs> It was like, what, what happened? You know, like you go back, uh, it was kind of a little bit before you had a camera on your phone. So, yeah. uh, you maybe didn't have a lot of photos, but I distinctly remember like coming out of it in like 2013 and being like, there was like, we had a, I had a lot of photos on our computer, uh, up to like 2007. And then there's like no photos for three years. <laughs> so it was just like, Oh uh, yeah. We were literally just working all the time. So yeah, totally. I mean, it's like most any other, most any other, you know, small company, let alone small manufacturing company. It's, uh, you know, it takes a lot of work and, uh, you're not going to get anywhere if you're paying other people to do the work. Um, so it was a pretty, it was a very small, very tight knit crew. You know, we started out with three people, uh, and after a couple of years, you know, we probably had maybe seven people. Um, so it was a real tight knit crew. It was mostly people who came from, uh, not from, from beer. So people who had an appreciation for beer, but had not worked in beer at all. So it was, it was a small crew of people who didn't really have any preconceived notions about, you know, how beer should be made. Uh, mm-hmm. uh didn't have experience, didn't have the experience to know better, uh, at certain points. Uh, but we were all just like having a, <clears throat> having a great time. <clears throat> we were all kind of learning together and, uh, it was just, a real, a real magical time where it's kind of like everybody is moving in the same direction yeah, and just adding their little bit of creativity. And, um, um, but yeah, obviously just like you said, you know, seven days a week, like countless hours, long yeah. nights, early mornings, you know, did remember you, those uh, nights where you, got home. <laughs> did you, uh, 
Was the tap room kind of part of the plan straight off or was that, did that come much later? The tap room came later, but um, I think a key component to Half Acre's success was we had a, we had a shop. So oh, we didn't have okay. a tap room. We weren't selling beer by the pint, but we had a shop where you could get growlers filled. You know, growlers were, were still super popular. Uh, so it was a place where uh, people could come in and interface directly with us. You know, we're in the shop, the brewers, it's a small place. People are running through the shop all the time. Uh, we would let people wander into the brewery. Uh, I remember it was, you know, our, our safety protocols have changed <laughs> for the better. Uh, but we used to just have like a line on the floor, like, yeah, you can go into the brewery. Just don't go over that line, you know? <laughs> oh, <man. clears throat> yeah. But, but the shop was crucial. So it was a way for people to come and interface with us, hear about the beer, taste the beer, uh, and then hopefully come back every week. You know, we had tons of regular customers, uh, who were coming in all the time and they just became part of the family too. You know, it's just like, it was kind of all one thing. You had our, you had our regular customers, the people working there, uh, and everybody was just kind of just vibing on it and having a good time. Do you still see the same faces in the tap room? Like some of the same faces as you did all the way back then? Uh, we do. I was just there yesterday and, um, there's uh, one of our longtime customers, FedEx Greg. He works for FedEx and his Amazing. name is Greg. So <laughs> yeah. It's FedEx Greg. <laughs> I just saw him, saw him there last night and you know, he, he's been with us from almost the beginning. So It's amazing, man. Uh, I love that, that. That's still fun. Yeah. Yeah. One of the favorite things I have here is like, I mean, you haven't seen our new spot, but um, you know, we've gone through a few different iterations and we had like our little tap room at the, <laughs> the end of like the end of our grotty little archway and, uh, and it was like in the depths of winter, you'd still have people kind of just there with like condensation on their glasses and still having like beers and, and then you still see those faces, but coming to our new establishment, that's actually a little bit more inviting than that. And it's just such a, I get such a buzz from that. that and, you know, it's so thankful that people kind of gather around you and want you to want you to succeed and want you to get to that place is, is amazing. Yeah, um, definitely. If I could, if you could roll up into a ball, a little ball of wisdom from those crazy first years, what would you kind of tell yourself to change or think you could do better to, to push you forward? Mm, if anything that's at all. Good yeah, it's a, it's a tough one too. Um, I don't know. It's hard to, it's, it's something that we don't, uh, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, the past, um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we're, we're obviously, you know, super thankful to have had the experiences that we had, uh, and be able to create the things that we've created. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would say, you know, putting my, uh, sort of engineering hat on, you know, we definitely could have, uh, made our lives a lot easier, uh, <laughs> if we had put some effort into designing our process better, uh, definitely on the safety side, you know, we, you know, like a lot of small breweries, you kind of start out and you're kind of, you know, you're putting yourself in, in risky situations. And thankfully, you know, um, we, we've come out unscathed, mm -hmm. uh, but, certainly looking back and you see the way we did things and you're just like, uh, there's safer ways to do that. You know, yeah. uh, you don't need to be climbing up on top of the top of a tank, uh, like from a fork truck, uh, you know, you can buy a ladder. <laughs> so Man, certainly, yeah. certainly that aspect, 
Yeah. If we could go back, we definitely would, uh, would not be putting ourselves in some of those situations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't really think about it at the time, but look back, it's just like, well, yeah, I can't, I won't even repeat some of the stuff that I remember doing. It's just like absolutely insane. Yeah. So you've established yourself as a brewery. You're kind of starting to feel this um, community grow around you. The shop's a really interesting dynamic because a lot of people obviously have the tap room, the tasting room, but just to have a physical kind of shop, just selling your beers and growler fills, it's a little bit different. Um, how long would you say it took you to get to a point where you felt like, right, well, one, maybe you can step off the brew floor. You've, you start to build a team, like you're starting to see a business really kind of form in front of you and seeing different avenues you can do, go down. Like how long do you think it took you to, to get to that point? And is there any like critical moment that you think really, really changed it? Or is it just a slow, slow growth? Um, it's definitely a slow process. And I would, I would say it was about five years of, um, you know, going from, you know, myself and Gabriel doing almost everything, uh, and de- or definitely having a hand in everything, mm-hmm. uh, to being able to, um, sort of have other, some, you know, other folks, uh, take over some of those tasks and be able to build the company a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was, um, I would say it was about five years and that also times out with when we, um, started working on our second facility. Uh, so that, that kind of definitely re- that, that, that was a requirement that, you know, myself and Gabriel had to step away from a lot of the day-to-day stuff mm-hmm. to then go and get a whole nother facility sorted out and designed and built and, uh, commissioned. So, uh, in a lot of ways it forced, it forced our hand, uh, in that regard that we had to start delegating and, and take a step away from the day-to-day stuff to be able to continue to grow the company. Cause yeah. <clears throat> you get to a certain point, uh, and I'm sure you've experienced it where, um, you need you you need to you need to move on if you're going to continue to grow the company and you can't you can't do both at the same time you can't be doing all the day-to-day stuff and thinking you know a year or two out ahead uh and and it's a it's a or you can but it's very challenging yeah yeah and half acre i guess you know i know that you guys recently with your you had every swanson working with you to do kind of like a mixed firm project which was kind of like a side project of half acre but yeah, what if if what is half acre as we speak right now? Is it two for two production facilities, tap room? You know, how does it look on paper? Yep, half acre now is just one facility. Yep. Um, so we our our first spot we we just sold almost a year ago to another brewery here in Chicago to uh, Hot Butcher. Amazing. Um, yep. So, so, so we got everything under one roof and with the sale of our original brewery, as w- when we built our larger production brewery, we were able to start doing a lot more mixed fermentation stuff at the original brewery. So we felt safe. We had everything segregated and yeah. that's where uh, we, we had the half acre mixed fermentation program. We had Avery come in and Avery was able to do her own, uh, own brewing and make her own beers. Uh, but when we sold that facility, um, we have not, made any mixed fermentation beers at our production facility, um, out of, um, you know, the cost of essentially build another brewery inside of that brewery was like, uh, that's pretty daunting. Yeah. Not sure that that needs, that can be our focus at the moment. So, so right now, yep. Half acre, we just have one facility. It's got a restaurant and a tap room and a shop. Uh, all of our beer is made there. Um, and, um, yeah, we got one spot. We make, uh, you know, we make 
all clean beer. We do some, we, uh, all of our barrels are all spirit barrels. So we don't do any kind of mixed fermentation, mm-hmm. uh, at work in, in, in wine barrels. So it's all miss, clean beer. Do you miss that side of things? Cause obviously it's really fun. And as, as a brewer, like that, that complexity of flavor that you can build in those beers is super fascinating, but we do a similar yeah. thing here. We only do kind of clean barrel stuff because, you know, some people may know and others not, but like the risk of infection is just not worth producing those beers in the same facility as a clean production facility. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can go really wrong. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I think it's something we miss. Uh, I think on a daily basis, it's not really something we're thinking about. You know, mm-hmm. we're kind of just like, okay, we got... We got our one place. We're doing what we're doing. But I think if you look at definitely the culture of the company um, and the the sort of diversity in what we're making and how we're making it, like we're we're definitely lacking that that component because it's uh, it's some it's a way different outlet. It's a way different way of thinking about beer. A different time scale of like how these beers come together. Um, and I think that perspective when blended in with with um, kind of like you know making daisy cutter which is very regimented and it's Mm -hmm. scheduled and you know got to crank it out um so to have these kind of beers that are going to take time and someone has to think very thoughtfully about them i think that's certainly something that we miss as a company um but you know overall it's like on a daily basis it's like we're you know we're just we're we're working with what we do and uh you know not really not really thinking about you know much else actually we kind of reconnected recently because you sent us a message about doing some cask beer which is obviously really exciting to to, for us to hear about and and you were just touching base with us because you drank Sonoma when you were over here so what what still drives you forward Matt because that's obviously just moving into a new territory are you still as curious as you were at the start of this journey um, definitely, uh, but in a different, in a different way. Um, so I think, you know, over the years of, of, of my personal sort of brewing journey and half acres, um, you know, we started out and it was kind of, you know, let's try to brew everything. You know, there's so many different styles of beers from all different parts of the world. Let's try to take a crack at all of them. Let's give it a shot. You know, we brewing all sorts of different, you know, different Belgian styles, um, different German styles. Um, and I think both as half acre and me personally kind of have figured out, you know, like where our interests are. And I think me personally, you know, my interests, uh, in beer, which still keeps me going and just as excited as ever is just like the more subtle flavors that you can get out of, um, out of beer and definitely these kind of like, it's really, if you, if you look at the, like how craft beer in the U S was, was started, it's most of it was heavily influenced on British brewing. You know, it's really, it's British, British styles that people in the U S were trying to recreate and through that process of recreating, it becomes its own thing. So I think if you look at, uh, it's kind of the, the, the beers that were being brewed in small batches in the nineties in the U S you know, they're very much like in English in, in nature, but, um, they kind of, they're, you know, they're using American hops and, uh, American malts and, um, 
And that's kind of where, where I'm at in terms of these beers that, um, you know, they, they're not going to knock your head off. You know, you're mm-hmm. not, you're not looking for like the most hoppy beer ever. You're just looking for beer that is, is there to, to add to whatever else you're doing. And that's always been the ethos at Half Acre. Someone at one time came up with the phrase, like, you know, beers that don't get in the way of the rest of your life. You know, it's like, <laughs> I love that. You know, and it's kind of, to me, it goes back to the, the, the beer culture in the UK and yeah. uh, being able to go over there and visit and just seeing how, how beer is thought of there. And it's, it's very much uh, a communal thing. And, Definitely. you know, people are going to the pub to, to, uh, to meet up and converse and, 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 you know, the whole concept of like people buying rounds, you know, uh, is something that, uh, is, is, uh, inspirational to me because there's just something about it. It's that, that like, you know, we're all in this together. It's I'm, I'm up, I'm buying the round, you know? So, um, yeah, so uh, I'm not sure if that answered your question. But, no, absolutely, um, it absolutely answered my question, and it's got me smiling. And it's just like it's very interesting. I, I kind of I've repeated myself over and over on this, but it's it's so fascinating. This you know, um, um, the, the the English kind of brewing culture being set in America, and then America, I always say, kind of Americanizing it, making it kind of bigger and bolder in flavor, and that then yeah, informing yeah. the British scene again. So you've got this kind of like cyclical motion of just like, and then and then people like yourself and, you know, I interviewed Dan Endicott who runs Forest of Maine, who's just like absolutely enamored with with British beer culture. And, and just that, like the idea of buying rounds and stuff and just sitting in a pub and a little bustly place and drinking cask beer, it's, it is a wonderful thing. And it's almost something that, again, I've repeated myself on this, but like you lose sight of because it's just, you're with it all the time. Um, and it's, it, it enthuses me to hear people like yourself go like, I want to kind of recreate that, but in Chicago. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, cause you know, I think, you know, the last time I saw you, which was, uh, what February of 2020, I think, yep, yep. um, you know, it, it's, it's, it was very impactful for me. You know, it's, it's not the first time I'd been over to, uh, to England, but, um, you know, just being over there, being over there with a bunch of American brewers too. Yeah. And it was funny to see this, like all the American brewers are like, take us to the old pubs with, with <laughs> yeah. you know? We want to see and, the sellers, and, show us the sellers. <laughs> and the Manchester brewers are like, oh, why do you want to go there? You yeah. Because obviously you all have appreciation for it, but just like you said, you're in it every day. Yeah. To us, it's, it's, it's not something that we get to experience every day. So um, yeah, I think I, I may have consumed an entire firkin there at the, the after party. <laughs> I, I oh, it was uh, great, I was man. Like, it was a, I, I think that's where it comes alive, man. That's like, that was one of the best beer kind of memories I have, like that friends and family festival, like so many American kind of brewers and international brewers all cr- congregating in your kind of home city and seeing the pubs and seeing the beer culture, just, just a really special moment. So I'm glad it had the similar kind of effect on you as well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> something that's something that strikes home too is the, the difference between like a 5% beer and a three and a half percent beer is just an incredible. And it's like, you can have the three and a half, you can have a, you know, a, a big old pint of three and a half percent beer at lunch yeah. and, you know, go, go right, go right uh, back into your day where it's like, you know, you have a pint of even like a pale ale, let alone, you know, a six, 7% IPA and, you know, you, the, the effects are, are, are different. Uh, and they, um, 
not always for the best in terms yeah. of <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, get things done the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of unavoidable when you drink a beer like that. I, I mean, yeah, um, you know, all of us, we drink either our lagers and, uh, I mean, Sonoma is generally the thing we all drink because it's just like 3.8% just hits that, that mark is exactly what we want. Um, okay, so spanning out from yeah. that, Matt, this is a question I always kind of like to ask and maybe we encompassed a little bit of it there, but if you look forward into kind of like the next five years of the craft beer scene and either as you can see it as the whole scene or just half acres journey how do you kind of see that moving um specifically with half acre or just in general with so um, in general sometimes i like to make it more expansive about like you know we've talked about the politics of beer and like you know the movements within it um but sometimes it's nice to just hone in on your own journey and just you know what what do you foresee you know half acre looking like in five years time yeah, it's always a tough question, and it's uh, it's been a struggle for us to not have that at any given moment to not really have that plan in place or that that vision. Um, I think we kind of more quickly than we anticipated got to where we wanted to be, and then it was like, all right, well, what do we do now? And we keep growing because uh, that's what everyone else is doing. And if you want to give you if you're you need to give your employees raises and to to be able to afford that, well, you have to grow and you need to, you know, bring in, bring in more money. Um, but you know, I think it's, I I think just craft beer in the U S and probably globally is, is going through, um, you know, some, some, it's going through some growing pain, growing pains in terms of it is now a very established industry. Mm Uh, it's, it's no longer this, there's, there's some scrappy upstart component to it, but you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's big business now. Um, you have breweries, you have breweries that are, are at a certain scale where 20 years ago they were, they were moaning about the other breweries who were at that scale who were keeping them down. And now you have prep breweries who are now up there. Um, so I think it's, it's a little bit of an identity crisis for craft beer. And I think it's not just one thing anymore. It's not, there's not, there's not one identity to craft beer. It's so many different things, mm-hmm. uh, and it can go in many different directions. Um, but I think, um, I go back to actually one of your colleagues, Paul Jones. Uh, he gave a, oh, gave uh, a Cap- talk. Captain Cloudwater. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Yeah. Paul Jones. Yeah. He gave, he gave a talk down in New Zealand a couple of years ago, kind of just kind of nibbling at this, uh, this argument of, you know, if we continue to keep putting different ingredients in beer and making beer, all of these different things, are we going to lose beer in the process? You know, like, what is beer? You know, now you can have in the U S you know, uh, uh, a hard, a spiked seltzer is considered beer. You know, it's oh, categorized wow. as beer. It's sold as beer. Uh, now the consumer isn't really thinking about it as beer, but you know, in terms of government regulations, it's beer. Um, so it kind of, it kind of brings to mind that like, you know, if, if, if craft beer starts to become all of these different things, is it, is it no longer beer, um, but I'm kind of rambling now. I think, um, no, 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 it's really, I guess long, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where it's going. Uh, it's definitely not going to be, it's no longer one thing. There's yeah. no mono culture of craft beer and that's a good thing. You know, I yeah. think it's good for craft beer to expand and breathe and be different things to different people. And it gives any, any given, any brewer or any brewery 
uh, a path that they can go on and not yeah. everyone has to be on the same path. Well, it's really fascinating to just hark back to like Goose Island of thinking that, you know, Bourbon County, I think is like one of, if, if not the highest rated beer in the world. But last year, I think they released some kind of like chocolate cream egg beer with Cadbury's cream egg, which is a, I don't know if you have it in America, but it's just like an egg that you get at Easter. Yeah. And it's just like, what's going on here? This is, And they had like a little glass and it was just like the most corporatized, you know, thing you could see from this once kind of giant of, of, of the beer scene. And I guess real giant of like yeah, yeah. the Chicago beer scene. So it's really fascinating. Like you say, it's re- definitely moved into the big, the big biz, the big, big business of, uh, of the beer world. You know, a lot of craft breweries are producing high volumes. Anyway, I'm waffling now. Um, Matt, it's, yeah. been, it's been awesome to, to chat to you and hear more about your journey in the half acre one. I really appreciate you doing it with me, man. It's great to reconnect as well. It's been a little while. Um, totally. there's, yeah, there's one question that I always like to, to finish with. It's got a little bit of a, an apocalyptic vibe to it. Well, a total apocalyptic vibe, but you're in a bar, you can have the barman is there. They've got every beer that's ever been made behind the bar. He can muster something up in a second, any beer that you can imagine he can, he can just make. There's a little TV in the corner and there's just a news flash on and it's just like a comet's about to hit earth in an hour. And the barman comes up and he slaps the bar and he says, what are you drinking? What, yeah, what, yeah. What, what beer are you going for? Yeah, too many, too many good choices to pick from, uh, but I got to pick one and we'll make it quick. So, um, And definitely this time of year, it would be uh, Sierra Nevada Celebration. Amazing. It's, uh, it's certainly a beer that, um, you know, if I had to pick one beer uh, early on in my craft brewing journey, you know, that one really stood out. I think both both the liquid, the beer is incredible and also the kind of the seasonality to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I would go Sierra Nevada celebration, uh, is, it would be my, if I had to want one final beer, (laughs) uh, a a big old pint of that. (laughs) Oh man, that sounds glorious to me. Um, thanks again, Matt. I really appreciate you spending the time doing this with me, mate. that's it another episode done a massive thank you to matt for doing that i kind of sprung it on him even though it was over email but he was uh he was a great guest and it was great to learn more about the half baker story i hope you enjoyed it this uh, episode was produced by tom coucher thank you tom um we'll be back with another episode next week um but yeah until then stay thirsty